Amen. Well, what is the gospel? It is a very simple yet profound question. Uh, and it has a very simple and profound answer. But unfortunately, the answer has become somewhat elusive, or it seems to be elusive for many in the church today. The truth is, uh, confusion rules the day due to, um, well, in the words of J.C. Ryle, uh, he says there have been additions, subtractions, and substitutions that Satan has used to neutralize the gospel's usefulness. You know, it's not uncommon uh, to ask the question, what is the gospel, and to receive answers like these. Well, it's making Jesus Lord of your life. Or it's asking Jesus into your heart. Or it's a personal relationship with Jesus. It's how you can have purpose or meaning in your life. It's taking up your cross and following Jesus. It's repenting of your sin and believing in Jesus. It's getting a new start. It's loving God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. Or it's loving and serving your neighbor. Some would answer, it's telling others about Jesus. And some would even say today, especially, that it's redeeming the culture by being the hands and feet of Jesus. But none of these answers are correct. None from that list answer correctly. And unfortunately, to say that, for me to say that, that those aren't correct answers, I would receive and probably will receive some pushback. If I was having a conversation with someone and said that, they definitely would push back and they say, well, you're, you know, really, you're just splitting hairs. Or they may say something like, well, uh, you know, we don't need to be concerned about the language or the doctrine. We just need to love Jesus. But brothers and sisters, getting the gospel right is of utmost importance. Getting the gospel correct is important. Actually, as we'll see, it's a matter of life and death. And that's why Paul wrote the letter to to the Galatians. That's why we're studying the letter to the Galatians. It mattered then and it matters now. Our outline tonight, if you will look in the back of your bulletin, there is a place for you to uh, take notes. I didn't include the outline, but you can follow along there. Uh, The outline will look like this. There will be four points. We're going to look at Paul's apostleship, Paul's audience, Paul's announcement, and Paul's astonishment. And before uh, we jump into this, I do want us to pray, because though we're the outline sounds like we're going to focus our attention on Paul, the reality is... We're going to focus our attention on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is Jesus that we want to see. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time together. I, th- I thank you uh, for, for Mr. Lou. I thank you for the passion of the gospel. I thank you for what you have done in his life and in the life of his family and the lives of so many, not only in China, but around the world. And I would pray that, Father, that tonight that, that we would catch some of that passion. For it is a passion that Paul shared. So in these moments, as we open your word, would you speak through what you have already spoken? Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? 
May we see Jesus as we focus our attention on the gospel. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So let's start with Paul's authorship. Uh, The occasions or the reasons for Paul's letters or for writing the letters in the New Testament kind of vary from letter to letter. But even though they vary, depending on the circumstances, uh, one thing is always constant, and that's how he begins those letters. He begins with a salutation, and there are three parts to those salutations as we, as we notice them throughout each letter. There's an introduction of himself as the writer. Uh, there is an acknowledgement of the audience that he's writing to, as well as a prayer of, of blessing for that audience. Um, And like eight of his other letters, his salutation here in Galatians begins with two qualifying statements. He he wants to set himself up not only with credibility, but with authority. He sets himself up with credibility because he wants to be uh, known as trustworthy and capable of being uh, believed and reliable. Uh, But he also wants to present himself as one with authority because as one with authority, he's not only credible, trustworthy and reliable, uh, but that... That trustworthiness and that reliability comes from more than just his character. It comes from the position that he holds. It comes from uh, a status or an office. And uh, he has a specific knowledge that, that others may not. And so here in the first part of Galatians, he in the salutation, he introduces himself first as an apostle. Uh, it's a word that we're all familiar with. In, in its general sense, it means one who is sent or a messenger. It's used 80 times throughout the New Testament, primarily in Luke, Acts, and in Paul's epistles. And he has, as a messenger, he has received a commission for someone to speak on their behalf. But the more specific sense in which Paul uses this, and it's used throughout the New Testament, is in reference to a select group of men who had received a specific charge or a direct commission from Christ And they were sent out in power and authority to preach the gospel. And not only preach the gospel, but to be uh, receivers of the gospel, teachers of the gospel, writers of the gospel. They were to reveal the Lord and His final revelation. So we have that credibility and that authority. But then he also says, he makes a very interesting statement. He says, not from man, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead. Now, much like the other phrases we see in his letters, he says four times, by the will of God. He says in a couple places, by command of. Uh, Here, there is the same purpose as those other two phrases. And that is, he is emphasizing the divine authorship, or his his divine apostleship. It, It is the Lord. It is God who has commissioned him as an apostle. But what's interesting in this particular passage is that, Um, Here he stresses the fact that his apostleship came directly from the Lord through the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants those that are reading this letter, those who are hearing his message, to understand that he didn't come up with this on his own. He didn't even come up with it from someone else. It wasn't through someone else's teaching or he didn't learn vicariously through them. He received a direct revelation from God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, we don't have to go any farther than Acts chapter 9 to know where that took place. So though he was probably, because we know from the other New Testament books that he's written, he had credibility and authority uh, from a human standpoint due to the things that he had gone through and his credentials. These two statements 
pronounce something very specific, and that is that he is trying in an unassuming, humble way to say that he's not writing this in his own authority, of his own will. He's not elevating himself above anybody else. He's simply establishing from the very beginning that he has received undeserved and divine authority from God himself to present the message that he's to present. And it lets his readers know that it's not just, well, hey, I've got a credible opinion, you need to listen to me. And we're going to see that he, as God's instrument, as being chosen to speak, we're going to see later on in chapters 1 and 2 that this becomes very important in his argument against the Judaizers. Now, in light of this, I want to make a statement. I want to pause and simply say that like we did in Ephesians, I think it's important for us in light of his divine um, apostleship and his divine authorship That we need to approach this letter the way we did the book of Ephesians. And that is that we need to approach it as I prayed a minute ago that he is speaking. The Lord is speaking to us through that which he has already spoken. There is something for us tonight and we should trust it as a part of God's full and complete and final revelation of himself. And we should listen. And we should obey. In the words... Uh, of John Calvin, let us not hear the doctrine as if it were subject to our judgment, but let us subject our own understanding and minds and receive it without calling it in question, unless we will willfully make war against God and lift up ourselves above Him. We want uh, want to bend our wills to His. Well, that brings us to the audience, which we see in verse two includes the churches in Galatia. Now, uh, everyone agrees that these churches were somewhere located in Asia Minor, but there's disagreement about whether they were in the northern part or in the central southern part. I tend to think that they were in the central southern part because those included the churches that Paul would have established in uh, Antioch and Lystra and Derbe and Iconium uh, during his first missionary journey. And this acknowledgement is very common for Paul. He, he would say this in every letter. But again, there's something interesting about this particular address. This particular point. Notice that he doesn't give some sort of honor. He doesn't bestow some sort of honor on the churches. Uh, he doesn't uh, give them some type of gracious title. He doesn't say to them, those loved by God. He doesn't say saints. He doesn't say faithful brothers. He simply says to the churches in Galatia. And the reason for that is he kind of tips his hand and what he's doing is he's letting them know up front that he's not really happy with what's going on. He's not happy with them. He's not happy with what's going on. And we know that he's really not happy with them because if you remember in the first part of Corinthians with all that was going on within the Corinthian church, Paul still called them those sanctified in Christ called to be saints. Here he doesn't do it. Something's going on, and it's not a very auspicious start for the Galatians. So now, despite his displeasure, Paul does pronounce a blessing. He stays in true form, and he pronounces a blessing. And while this type of blessing, again, is very common, it also is a little different because it goes beyond pronouncing a blessing to really making an announcement. He's taking this opportunity as what is this typical form, the standard form of his letter to remind them of the message that he had proclaimed to them 
some year to two years at most earlier. And that message that he had proclaimed served as a foundation upon which those churches were planted. And it's simply the foundation or the message of the gospel. In the midst of this blessing, he announces the gospel. Look at verse 3. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Luther says this. He says, grace and peace contain in them the whole sum of Christianity. Grace contains the remission of sins and peace, a quiet and joyful conscience. And who doesn't want those things, right? Who doesn't want the grace of God? Who doesn't want the peace of God? Who doesn't want that quiet, joyful conscience? And in this phrase, Paul is making a very specific statement. And he's saying that that quiet and joyful conscience, that internal peace only comes Uh, That internal peace from God only comes by having or being at peace with God. And our peace with God only comes and is only possible if our sins are forgiven by God. And our sins are only forgiven by God, by God, by His grace, in Christ alone. It's a very specific message. And he goes on to say that that Christ Gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. He couldn't be more succinct. Paul is letting the Galatians know. He's reminding the Galatians that it was Christ who willingly laid down his life to make a payment. To provide payment for the penalty that we owed a holy God. He was a substitute. He was in our place paying the debt of sin that we could not pay ourselves. He delivered us and he delivered us from the power of the world from the power of satan and from our flesh in this current day and age in which we live that mr lou was telling the children you know being a teenager is tough well listen being a child is tough being an adult is tough we live in this present evil age in our need of deliverance from our sin and the lord jesus did that our slate was wiped clean, that debt having been paid. But not only was that, that debt wiped clean, but Christ's righteousness was added to our account. That perfect righteousness that was needed to stand before a holy God is provided by the Lord Jesus. And brothers and sisters, and he did that for his glory. His glory and our good. And brothers and sisters, that is the gospel. That's the announcement that he's making. That's what he's wanting to be clear about for his readers, for that church that he had visited. It's an an announcement of what Christ has done. It's an announcement of what he has secured. It's an announcement of what he has accomplished for sinners. Again, for his glory, for our good. And he did it all in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, simple, right? And profound, Talking with the Tillies before our, our service tonight. A very simple message, a very succinct message, but we could spend years plumbing the depths. But that was the message that, that Paul wanted the Galatians to be reminded of. It's a message that we want to be and need to be reminded of. It, it needs, we need to be reminded because of our own sin nature, because of our own desires, because of our own lusts, because of our own attitudes, because of our own thoughts, words, and deeds. And he's, and he's taking care of all of that through the Lord Jesus Christ and his cross. Taking what we deserved 
giving, taking what we deserved away from us, giving us what we didn't deserve. We need, to be, we need to be regularly reminded that we don't contribute anything to our redemption other than our sin. Our actions, our efforts, our decisions, our choices, our commitments are not included in the gospel message. Pastor Burke Parks put it this way, The gospel is the victorious announcement that God saves sinners. And even though the calls of Jesus to take up your cross and follow me, repent and believe, deny yourself and keep my commandments are all necessary commands that directly follow the proclamation of the gospel. They themselves are not the gospel. And that's the announcement that Paul wants the Galatians to hear. That's the announcement that he wants us to hear. And he wanted them to hear it and he wants us to hear it because the truth of the matter is the gospel in, these, in this evil day, in, in these days in which we live, is being distorted. It was then and it is now. Notice what he says. Verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul is not pleasantly surprised. He is angrily dumbfounded. He's beside himself. Because like I said, less than a year at most two, they have have deserted. They have not simply forgotten, but they have deserted the gospel. They've retreated from. They've turned their backs on. They've gone in a different direction from. They've reversed course away from the, the gospel that he proclaimed and that he's now reminding them of. And to make matters worse, it wasn't just a one-time event. It's a continual thing that's going on. It's an ongoing, an ongoing, not not a one-time event, but an ongoing situation that, that they're encountering. And then to make matters even worse than that is that it's not just a, a desertion or a retreat or reversal from the gospel. Paul's very clear here that it's a desertion and a retreat from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. See, what had happened is once he had left, a group of guys come in that we call them the Judaizers. And they moved in and began to teach a gospel that was distorted. And they were emphasizing the insufficiency of Christ's work and the need for the Gentiles to be circumcised and to follow holy days and to follow the dietary laws. In other words, they, they were saying that. Christ's work was insufficient. If you want to be a believer, if you want to be a Christian, you need to also not only believe Christ, but you also need to become a Jew. And again, Paul was beside himself, and rightly so. Because Paul Paul knew the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to point people... Uh, point to their inability, point to our inability, and point to our need for a Savior. 
The law's purpose was to point us to Jesus, our mediator, the one that uh, the song that we just sang, our one and only mediator, that one being Jesus, he being the only mediator between God and man. And that was the law's purpose. Paul knew that there could be no mixture between the gospel and the law. He knew in in Luther's words again, Luther says, either Christ must remain and the law perish or the law must remain and Christ perish. Christ and the law can by no means agree to reign together in the conscience. One of them must give place to the other. And then he says this, if you cannot believe that God will forgive you your sins for Christ's sake. How then will you believe that he will forgive you your sins for the works of the law, which you could never perform? So the the Judaizers were combining, they were, their message was this Christ plus the law. And that message emphasized primarily three things. One, well, they were exposing something. Uh, They were exposing three things. One, they were exposing their low view of Christ and that his work, and they didn't believe that his work was sufficient for salvation. Two, they were believing in a a low, or they were were exposing their view, uh, a low view of the law, believing that it could somehow be fulfilled. And then finally, they were exposing their high view of themselves. Expressing and exposing that belief that they, it was possible for them and for others not only to earn but to maintain their standing before God by their own righteousness. And Paul says that's just a flat out perversion. A, a flat out perversion of the gospel. He says it, it's a different gospel and then he says, you know what, it's not even a different gospel. It's no gospel at all. And he says it doesn't matter if it doesn't matter if it, well he says it doesn't matter who comes and starts preaching that kind of gospel you need to not listen to it. He says it doesn't matter if I come preaching that gospel. It doesn't matter if those who are with me preach that gospel you need to not listen to it. He, and then he says it doesn't matter if angels. It doesn't matter if an angel comes and presents you with that kind of gospel. Don't listen to it. It's a perversion. He says, and anybody who would preach that kind of gospel, that law and gospel, that mix, he says they should be accursed. He says they're an abomination. And that is very, very difficult for us to hear because it's very strong language. It's very uncomfortable, but it's a very, very stern warning that we must hear. Because, brothers and sisters, we live in a time when the gospel is being distorted as well. As I quoted from R.C. Rao at the beginning, uh, he says you know, that the gospel is being added to, subtracted from, and substituted for, and therefore it is, it is being neutralized. It's being neutralized. In some cases, it's, it's being abandoned altogether. And today, that, that sort of looks like this. There is, of course, legalism that takes place, just like Paul was dealing with with the Judaizers. But there's not only legalism today, but we have moralism going on. We have pietism going on. And then, of course, we've got the health, wealth, and prosperity and the uh, self-help therapy versions of the gospel that are taking place that we hear all around us. And in each of these cases... There, there are some specific things that they hold in common. One is, they, they, 
the need for absolute holiness is eliminated and our sin is downplayed. And then on top of that, Christ and his cross and his righteousness, if even necessary, are mere starting points. And then our own righteousness and our own ability is elevated. And that results in this salvation that's nothing more than a transaction between us and God. It's kind of let's make a deal. We'll do this. So you will do this. And I, and I think you, you're aware, you hear it all the time. These dis- distortions focus on us and our lives and what we're accomplishing and what we're doing for Christ. These distortions, they, they ground who we are in how we live. They relegate Christ to this mere starting point into our duty and obedience. They gauge the genuineness of our salvation and our justification or our position before God on how well we are pursuing holiness. They focus on how well we live the Christian life and how spiritual we are and the moral progress we're making. And they're preoccupied with piety due to the fear of moral laziness. And what happens is then our faith and our faithfulness become synonymous. And that ultimately erodes our assurance of our salvation. Undermines it completely. Because I don't know about you, but the pursuit of holiness, as far as I'm concerned, is up, down, in, out, every way around. And ultimately, these distortions leave people absolutely worn out and living in fear due to our sin. Because no matter how, no matter how hard we try, we always come up on the short end of that deal. It doesn't matter. But the real gospel... The only hope that we have, right, Daniel? Is that not awesome? Children, what is our only hope? What is our only hope? Good. Our only, that's right, there we go. It's like the wave. The real gospel focuses on Christ and what He has accomplished in His life, death, and resurrection for us. The real gospel grounds what we do in who we are in Him and what He has done for us. In the real gospel, it's His work on our behalf that provides the foundation and the confidence in our position before the Father. It's the real gospel that focuses on the requirement of perfect righteousness... That a holy God demands that we don't possess. And that's been credited to us and received by faith. The gospel does lead to piety. Absolutely. 
But any goodness and any heart transformation and any good works, any following, any discipleship are all the result of the Spirit's sanctifying work in us. And our confidence in that progressive work, our confidence in that piety, our confidence in those good works and in that growth is not in ourselves at all. It's in Christ who was and is our righteousness, sanctification and redemption. It's his work and not ours that assures us of a complete and total salvation from beginning to end because he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. It is the Lord that does that. Yes, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but only because it is He, it is, it is the Lord, it is, is the Lord God, it is the Spirit of the living God that is at work within us both to will and to work for His good pleasure. We live our lives responding to what Christ has done and what the Spirit of Christ continues to do in us. And ultimately, the, the, the gospel, the undistorted gospel, does not leave us tired and worn out and fearful. The gospel leaves us at rest and confident. Again, not in ourselves, but in Christ. Because again, in Luther's words, Christ, according to the proper and true definition, is no lawgiver, no tyrant, but a mediator for sins. A free giver of grace, righteousness, and life. Who gave himself, not for our merits, not for our holiness, righteousness, and godly life, but for our sins. Christ gave himself for our sins. And may we be reminded of the gospel. And may our faith be strengthened and increased as we gather each Lord's Day to hear that gospel. May we remind ourselves and each other of the gospel throughout the course of the week. And may God give us wisdom and discernment that we may hear the distortions of that gospel so that we are able to turn our backs on it. That we can retreat from it or them and rest in what we know to be true. And may we help each other do, may we help others do the same. May we not be silent. Because it is a matter of life and death. Let's pray together.